Now we are continuing in our study in the book of Acts, and we've come to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. So turn to it, and let us read and hear this portion of God's holy and infallible and inert word. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Father, we ask that you would give us an appreciation of what is taking place, or what was taking place on this most momentous occasion in the history of redemption. Something that was prophesied to come. Something that was anticipated to come by the very mouth of the Lord himself before his ascension. Something that they waited for those several days in the upper room. And now it has come. And so, O oh God, give us that ability to transfer ourselves back there and to have a deeper appreciation of what you were about and what you still are about in your entering into lives, in your filling your people, even to overflowing, that their cup would run over and that they would bless the name of the Lord. In Christ's name, amen. The day of Pentecost. What happened on this day? We just read it. And so you have this general picture and it's important to break it down, as it were, to uh, take it apart and then reassemble it, as it were, again, just like what we would do in theology, but only it is with our desire to understand this portion of God's Word. Verse 1, I will read again, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. One thing seems very evident is that they are one. They weren't before, but now they are. Pentecost, 50th is what that means. The 50th week, or 50th day, sorry, after the Passover. An occasion of celebration, one of three annual feast days. This one celebrated 50 days after the Passover, when the Jews would go to Jerusalem. And here they came from all over the Mediterranean world. The Passover is when our Lord sowed to the earth. And then Pentecost is when he reaped to the glory of God in the harvest. An offering of first fruits is what this was about. The Holy Spirit being the first fruit of the believer. As it says in Ephesians 1.14, that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, 
that is the down payment of our inheritance until, I'm sorry, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of salvation and of eternal life. This is how you know that you are a Christian. This is the one by whom we have the assurance of faith that is sufficient for us to go on in our trek in this misery-ridden and sin-darkened world. The church here is also the first fruits of the harvest when the Lord returns. And then it goes on in verse 2. And I read, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Suddenly is the, adjective, or the adverb that is used to describe the coming of the Holy Spirit. Though the Spirit works in the hearts of men secretly beforehand. Often revival is done suddenly to the surprise of all who are given eyes to see and who are about that event, as is here the case. There came a sound from heaven. And again, though the Spirit is silent, yet His results are not when they come forth. Even as a rushing mighty wind, mighty, and that nothing can stand against the Spirit of God. Rushing, and that the rapidity, rapidity with which the Spirit's influence can influence the world like a mighty rushing torrent. If Satan is described as a flood tide that sweeps over the land, how much more the Holy Spirit, who is the very Spirit that hovered over the creation in its making as he was the instrument of its creation. Within 50 years, the gospel would reach every country in the known world at that time. Wind. I've already spoken this briefly before. The Greek and the Hebrew word is one and the same for wind and the spirit being the same or synonymous to one another. Wind, an emblem of mystery. We can't see the wind. As our Lord says, thou canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. And so is everyone was born of the Spirit. He is of sovereign freeness, like this wind that, he, that the Lord was sending up our way that was first forecasted as a hurricane. And then it was downgraded to what? Tropical storm. And now I don't think it's blowing very much out there. So it's been downgraded, although I haven't checked the news as of this morning because I'm, I'm too busy preparing to, to be with you. It bloweth where it listeth. That's the Middle English way of saying that the wind blows where it wants to blow and you can't do anything about it. All you can do is watch its results. See the white caps on the, on the waves at the beach. You can see the leaves strewn all over the yard, yard out there. That was partly the result of the wind or, or totally. At one time, a, a gentle zipper you know what that is, right? It's like a gentle wind that just blows a sailboat. I met a fellow yesterday who had a sailboat and talked about how he wished that his sons had continued his, uh, uh, well, his hobby. That was his hobby. Um, a gentle zipper. And then another time, a howling blast that you can't even hear. 
yourself talking. It's so loud. I remember one occasion, what, two or three years ago, when the wind blew so hard that my neighbor and I were standing out there trying to uh, uh, stand in the wind, and we were, we were being blown sideways. And in fact, uh, uh, a neighbor's dogs escaped. And I remember a brother and I uh, jumping into his car and going after them in order to return them safely to their owners. There were two, actually. The Holy Spirit comforts the saints. The Holy Spirit comforts the saints. Our Lord says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Come to you in the Holy Spirit. As you see, he was to go away. And not just for, well, for a time, yes. But he was going away. He was to go away for a long time. He also went on to say, but the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He is the one who is the inspirer of the word. He is the one who is God that breathes out the word for the Father and the Son. And he is our comforter because he comforts with words as well as his presence in dwelling in our very temple. And also the Holy Spirit convicts sinners. He comforts the saints and he convicts the sinner. As in John 16, he, that is our Lord again, and speaking of the Holy Spirit, talks about what he does in the world. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's verse 8, by the way, 8 through 11, if you want to look it up. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. And the Holy Spirit filled the house. He filled the place where they were sitting, whether that would be in one of the courts or courtyards of the temple or a private home of one of the disciples as we noted a previous time. Was it only heard by the disciples? Or, or did outsiders also notice it as well? Whatever the disciples' experience was, one thing was for sure, that the Spirit of God came in power. As will be observed later, the Holy Spirit will work wherever, to whomever He will. And thank God if you are the blessed recipient of his visit, of yes, his indwelling, or have been the blessed recipient of his visit and indwelling, and continual visits, as he is one who, who entertains our entertaining Christ. And, and really, that's a two-way street, as the writer of Revelation talks about how he stands at the door and knocks, and whoever opens it will come into him and sup with him and he with him. He does not confine himself to an upper room or to the church. Revival penetrates even to the home and to the family and to the entire household. That's how God 
intended that salvation come is to households, to families. As he started with families, he continues with families and will end with families. And yes, we know that God is sovereign and that he has not elected all, even within a given household. But nevertheless, that is the pattern of evangelism and of missions. So whatever the disciples experience is, we must know that he is not confined to any place. And that revival penetrates, yes, to the very heart of people in families, but also in workplaces, and even to the extent of pothouses and bars and the like. Although I wouldn't advise you giving the gospel in these places, but maybe inviting those that you might meet that go to these places to your home. And I won't even say Starbucks anymore till coffee house, okay? We come to three, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, cloven tongues. Imagine that with the tongue, God is pleased to do even mightier things than with a sword or with a pen. It is through the preaching of the word that the Lord saves. As Paul would note in 1 Corinthians 1.21, where after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God through the foolishness of what? Preaching. Not writing first, but preaching of the word of God to save them that believe. If one will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart at the same time that God hath raised him from the dead, he shall be saved. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's something to be said about the preached word. There's something to be said about the verbal witness of the Christian worker. And ultimately, he is a tongue of fire. Is the tongue of fire, just like John predicted in Luke 3, 16 and 17, if you turn to it. You remember when our Lord began his earthly ministry? It is noted in Luke 3, 16 and 17, the following. Let's start with verse 15. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of his shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with a quenchable. The Spirit's advent is visible as well as audible. The tongue of fire. As in the presence of Moses when God in the burning bush spoke to him. And that was his divine presence. Charles Wesley notes in one of his hymns, O thou who camest from above the fire celestial to impart kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. Another Charles by the name of Charles had at Spurgeon notes 
to show that God's ministers speak not coldly as though they had tongues of ice, nor learnedly as with tongues of gold, of gold, nor arrogantly as with tongues of brass, nor pliantly as with tongues of willow, nor sternly as with tongues of iron, but earnestly as with the tongue of flame. Their words consume sin, scorch falsehood, enlighten the darkness, and comfort the poor, unquote. The Holy Spirit sat upon them, each one of them, as an abiding influence of his presence, with each receiving from that one flame their own portion of that same Holy Spirit. And then fourth, or the fourth verse, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Old Testament, they were filled with the Holy Spirit there, such as in Ezekiel 37, 4 and following, if you would turn with me to it, in Ezekiel. And our Lord drew from these images and from these prophecies in his teachings, as you know, such as with Nicodemus. But here in Ezekiel 37, verse 4. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Imagine if you were told to do that, to give the word, to prophesy the word of God to a valley of dry bones, like at Yuma. Not, not Yuma itself, but around Yuma. Okay, that's, that's, that's a desert. And there are bones out there too, by the way. And there may be human bones, but nevertheless, there are human bones in this valley, which represents our spiritual death. It represents an apostate nation of professing Christians. Are we getting like that in our day, or do we have something comparable now? Indeed. Moving on to verse 9 and 10. I could read this all, but it suffices for me to read just these two more. Then said he, that is God unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, or into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. O breath, that's the Holy Spirit. God is telling the prophet to call upon the Holy Spirit, to breathe upon them life, and that more abundantly. In the New Testament, I began to allude already to this, and that is in John 3, 8. And again, not needing to read the whole pericope, but this will suffice. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
<clears throat> Picture yourself meeting with the Lord clandestinely at night because your fellow Pharisees would have an awful, uh, awful dither about seeing you with this man who already was an outcast, if not an outlaw, according to their perception of the law of God. And here our Lord speaks to Nicodemus, Nicodemus who is still dead in trespasses and sins. Oh yes, God has begun a preparatory work in his heart, as the Puritans would, would uh, speak, speak of. That work that he begins in all of his elect people prior to his converting them to himself. Oh yes, he was beginning to ask the right questions and the Lord was giving him straight answers. But the most important thing is that he was telling him his need for the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it chooses, Nicodemus. He could pass you by, but I pray for your soul. You hear the sound thereof? There, there, are, there are signs here of, of the Spirit's work. But keep this in mind that he can convict but not convert. He may convict only and not convert. Where are you, Nicodemus? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Notice that these in whom the Spirit abode began to speak in other tongues get back to our our text in Acts chapter 2 they began to speak in other tongues <clears throat> and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance now what are these other tongues are these ecstatic utterances like by those religions that were involved in spiritism and the like? Are these, or are these known languages representing the nations that were visiting Jerusalem at this occasion of the Passover and thereafter? Of course, it is the latter. Tongue speaking is a gift that would only be exercised two other times recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 10 and 19. And why? What was this all about? What was this all about? This day of Pentecost that finally that God would equip these men with his word which he began to do and now with his Holy Spirit and this unction of the Holy Spirit that would exceed that of the new birth because it is one of those unique episodes in the history of redemption in which God would lay the foundation for his church once and for all. And when this foundation is laid, it's done. And the church builds there. <clears throat> As the Apostle Paul would note, and I'll read this in closing, in Ephesians chapter 2, Beginning at verse, I could read the whole chapter, but let me just start at verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, through Christ. 
Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, it's all coming together. The foundation is about to be completed. It'll take a few years because the, the New Testament will, will still be in the process of being written and recorded and set down and canonized, etc. But nevertheless, the foundation indeed will be have been completed shortly hereafter. And what does it all narrow down to? The wonderful works of God that they would hear through the gospel. It's that simple. It is that simple. The good news that Jesus lived and died and rose again in order to save undeserving sinners like you and I. And there will be more to follow. And so with that, let us close with a little prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, give us that childlike faith, and yet let us be men in understanding with regard to these matters that are before us, that we would not be stirred, steered in the wrong direction, by the winds of doctrine that blow even through your visible church, that we would have these matters firmly and clearly planted in our minds as to what you're doing, yet realizing that there will be things that we will not understand that are above us, and yet with that same childlike dependence upon you, commit, Lord, those things we don't understand to you, but holding on firmly and faithfully your holy word as that is the foundation not only of your church but of our lives in Christ Jesus we pray Amen